Welcome to the Unlocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of Bramble and Rex. Welcome back to episode number 104 of Unlocking Crypto. How I've made it two straight years of podcasting. That's pretty impressive. I know we celebrated 100 episodes beginning of the year, but now we're officially at two years. So congratulations. Yeah, that's pretty good. Normally two years is when I kind of get bored with stuff. And it's two years of podcasting, but it's like six and a half years of Bitcoin. So, yeah, I mean, there's, there's something here. There's <laughs> Well, and, and right now, it's, it's just starting to get exciting again, right? I mean, we're, we're somewhat coming out of this bear market, and there's a lot of momentum into what could be a 18-month-plus bull run, right? So it's kind of exciting to see what's going to happen. And I know we want it to happen a lot quicker than it probably is going to happen, <laughs> but it, it's at least looking positive so far. Yeah, I, I had that thought about how fast that things move, and yet you want them to move faster. I was on Twitter just looking at different Bitcoin stuff, and I'm like, I wonder, like, I wonder what happens if I Google Bitcoin news and and take a look. And sometimes if I'm trying to fill in some gaps, I'll do that. And I'm reading these articles that are like one and two days old. And I'm like, this is two week old information. <laughs> it's like, it seems like it moves slow. It moves fast. You get into social media and news and, and follow the right people. And then it's really fast. And then everything else just is crawling. So that's, it kind of goes back when we talk about regulations or we talk about, well, ETF approval, you know, that when you're trying to get Bitcoin that moves fast to break through these legacy news media outlets and legacy stuff, the legacy finance machine, it takes forever. And so we're, to me, we, we, we're at a point now where we've broken through some previous ceilings that, that existed in previous bull runs and having cycles and things like that. And so without those ceilings, like it means there, there could be more adoption and more, more price appreciation. Well, I know we, we kind of talked about trying to stay away from talking about the ETFs after they got approved. But, I mean, there's there's probably just so much to talk about still. I mean, we're only about two weeks after the approval date. And if you look at the success of the Bitcoin spot ETF launch, I, you could say it, it hasn't really been matched by any other ETF launch ever, right? So there's been a ton of excitement. And... It, I guess the price went down, right? Which isn't really what everybody was expecting. But I mean, if you look at it, Grayscale has sold off $5 billion <laughs> or something close to that. And yet as a whole, we're still up almost a billion dollars from where we started as, in terms of assets under management. So even with a huge amount going out the door, overall, we're net positive And that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I was looking. So I, there's a there's a good follower on Twitter that I don't recall, but they track the daily inflows and outflows of the ETFs, but it's denominated in Bitcoin instead of dollars. And so I I, I kind of like that better because you can kind of kick the dollars around, and then what does that mean for Bitcoin? Like, what's the net gain in in Bitcoins taken off exchanges, right? Because that's what's important yep. is is Bitcoins coming off exchanges and. The GBTC selling started out like over 10,000 Bitcoin a day of of just flowing out of that. And then it went from there and then it knocked down to 6,000 Bitcoin a day. And now yesterday was 4,000 Bitcoin. And usually 
all the other combined ETFs are kind of fighting against whatever number GBTC is throwing out. Well, yesterday, BlackRock's ETF took in more Bitcoin than GBTC lost. So that leaves the Fidelity ETF and the, which is those, those two are the two monsters. They're both like over 2 billion assets under management and they're, they're kind of fighting for that winning position. But the other guys are still big too. You know, they're taking in hundreds of Bitcoin net inflows a day. So you add those up and it, it starts to become really, really material. And so if GBDC's selling pressure continues to decrease and price appreciation starts to happen and people get moving in, I mean, we're still, like you said, two weeks. It takes, I've transferred money around and canceled, I, I closed a, I closed a, a, an account with a financial advisor I've had for like 20 something years. And because I asked them, what are we going to do about Bitcoin ETFs? And like, oh, we're not going to be able to buy them. So I'm like, okay, but I think it's time for me to move on. So I, I, I went through all that. This is me, a guy who runs a podcast is doing this for six and a half years. I've got, I'm way over allocated to Bitcoin in my normal world. And I'm still moving money around, waiting for it to settle. Then I got to sell all the garbage, small cap, mutual fund things I'm exposed to and turn around and then buy, you know, the, the Bitcoin ETFs. Now, if I, if it's taken me this long, imagine what it's going to take for somebody who's like busy doing other stuff, not thinking about Bitcoin. You know, it, it's, I, I feel like once that price appreciation hits, I mean, it, it, like when I was doing the Bitcoin news search on Google News, every headline was negative because they're just now seeing the price go from 49 down from two weeks ago. You know, like these are a couple of day old pieces. One of them actually, instead of saying Bitcoin price rebounds or Bitcoin price back up to 43,000, it was like play in the negative. Like the Bitcoin slide slows down Bitcoin now at 43. It was like like you 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 would have to write it like i'm going to write a negative bitcoin headline about the price going from the high 30s into the mid 40s what kind of how could i write this headline so that it doesn't sound great and so it, all those headlines change when price starts to run and people are into it so i'm i'm super bullish long term obviously but this the etf stuff is the the amount of money that's moved whether it's moved from gbdc into the etfs or Coinbase stock or mining stocks or whatever, or other countries' ETFs for those institutional investors, it kind of doesn't matter because all of that stuff has to settle and then we start to grow and then normal people start to buy and then companies start to allocate and sovereign wealth funds start to allocate and things like that. So we're kind of, we've got to chew through some of this stuff. And once we get through it, it's just an, it's just another faucet for US dollars to flow into Bitcoin. And it's a faucet that wasn't on last time. Well, I mean, you still look at Vanguard and they are not planning on allowing any of their customers to buy any of the Bitcoin ETFs. So to come to your point, I mean, that's $7 trillion of assets. And how, how there's a, I mean, they're getting inundated with calls saying, allow us. And they're saying, no, how much of that moves over somewhere else? And that's not a quick process, right? I mean, we're two weeks in. So all those guys that are over there that want exposure, need to come somewhere else, it, it's it's going to take a little bit of time. But I, I think one of the other cool things that I did see from, I mean, there's a lot of positive things going on too. If you look at the whales, which are any address that holds more than 1,000 Bitcoin, 
they accumulated $3 billion more of Bitcoin in January <laughs> during all of this. So they're now up to almost a third of the, or actually over a third of the total supply is held by whales at this point. So, and that's a lot of different people, right? But it, it's still, they see this as a, a huge advantage and something that they they should be buying. And you talked about BlackRock earlier. BlackRock was the, the first one to hit over $2 billion in assets under management. I think they're two weeks in, and in the past 12 months, they're already the third best ETF that's that's come out. And this is in two weeks, right? I mean, Fidelity is literally right behind them, too. So you have two of the top, what, four ETFs in the past 12 months, have, and, and probably a lot more than that with the other guys. But now what happens in a, a month when they surpass <laughs> what the other ETFs have done in the past year? And I mean, their goal is 10 billion plus, right? I mean, they're, they're giving a lot of benefits to these guys, to holders until it, they get five to 10 billions in asset under management. So, yeah. And if I can pile on some more positivity about where things are going. So whales don't buy at the top right whales buy when things are low if you look at if you look at if you can find the charts where whales are buying they crush buying when things are low and then they'll sell all the way up to the top and then they wait and then they buy at the bottom again i mean and so if whales are buying that's that's a good indication that they I think that we're kind of setting somewhat of a floor somewhere around here and the expectation is things go up i don't know how you can follow bitcoin and expect it to not go up from here, it's there's so much positivity. There's so many tailwinds to to push this price up. I mean, we're we're still we're still cruising along. I figured when I moved my stuff around, it, like when I'm in social media and I'm I'm trying to trick the algorithm into actually showing me what I want. You know, like I'm if there's a video or something that I don't want, I'm like I scroll fast, right? Because if you pause on it and read it, it knows it knows what you read and it knows what you don't read. So. I'm like trying to manipulate the algorithm to actually give me what I want. Well, I was like, it's the same thing with my Schwab account versus the Satera and the Edward Jones account. It's like, I'm going to call, I'm going to let the human being know I'm moving money because I can't get Bitcoin ETF exposure. Then I'm going to move the money. And as soon as I can, when it gets my, to my Schwab account, I'm buying Bitcoin ETFs, right? Because Schwab has to be gathering that kind of data. And Schwab actually announced that they may come in with a, a, a second fiddle ETF. Like I, they said the second tier, second mover advantage is low cost. I'm like, everybody's still dropping their fees. <laughs> so I'm like, anyway, I'm pumping, I'm pumping the, the Schwab algorithm, letting, letting them know like, Hey, money's coming in from other, other brokerages and it's going straight into the Bitcoin ETF. Now, maybe there's only 10 other people like me, but maybe there's not, as you know. So anyway, I I, I felt like they're, maybe I'm manipulating. They're it. talking about doing fees like half of what everybody else is doing. So like 0.1 percent for fees, right? So, I mean, if that happens, we we've, we've talked about this before. Nobody raises their fees <laughs> once they mm -mm. set a new benchmark. I mean, it, it just goes down from there. So I mean, we're it's a race to the bottom. Just kind of what Strike is doing on the layer twos with Bitcoin, right? It's how do they make this practically free and very little amount of money and they have to incentivize somebody to let them hold their Bitcoin instead of allowing or having yourself hold your own keys. Right. And so I'm normally not a very theoretical Bitcoiner about how Bitcoin solves society's cultural problems. And, I, you know, I don't get into that 
as much. I have, I, I think about it quite a bit, but I, it just sounds so like sci-fi futuristic. But that said, it does feel like when Bitcoin touches something, it yields to Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is supposed to be for everybody, right? If you, as long as you effectively have a cell phone, you can get into Bitcoin and, and you can experience the same percent gains as Michael Saylor, right? There's no, there's no advantages or disadvantages based on who you are. You can't be unbanked because of, you know, redlining and things like that. And it's like Bitcoin gets into Wall Street and Wall Street's fees are just low, low, like they keep fighting to go lower. Strike is going to do it to Western Union. You know, like just stop taking advantage of people, stop rent sinking and taking money for making huge profits for doing very little. And anybody that has infrastructure, it hurts, right? Because Bitcoin doesn't require you to have infrastructure. And so, I mean, if you talk about an ETF with a 10 BIP fee, that's, that's, that's really cheap. And if their, if their, if their custody strategy is sound, that's a pretty good way for people to get in and not have to be uh, taken to the cleaners by fees and, and, you know, have their legs cut out for them. So it's like, okay, well, Bitcoin came into Wall Street and was like, all right, yeah, you guys want to be taking advantage of people just because you're a gatekeeper. It's like, you're not a gatekeeper anymore. You, this is one gate that people want to use to get into the ETF, but there's a gate over here that you can go through Coinbase or Strike. I mean, Strike doesn't really charge much of a fee. So you're talking about a, a, a investment vehicle that you can invest in that doesn't really cost you much to, to, to get into. That hasn't existed yet. So let's put it on the list of things that Bitcoin like fixes. And you, you mentioned Michael Saylor. If you look at what MicroStrategy has done in the past four years, they have accumulated about 189,000 Bitcoin right, in four years. BlackRock just did 52,000 in two weeks. <laughs> so it is, I mean, they're on pace just to, to kind of go crazy. And then the other exciting piece is the number of new addresses on Bitcoin has jumped up like 48%, right? So there's a ton of people that are really interested in where things are going in the future. And I hear there's a bunch of crazy stuff going over on in Europe with farming that I was just kind of told about. I haven't really looked into it, but man, Bitcoin solves a lot of that issue too, right? So it's it's becoming a, a solution that more and more people are kind of, kind of start to find out about and realize that they're tired of being told what they can and can't do by whatever government is controlling them. Well, speaking of government controlling, that, that when I was Google News perusing, I came across an article that Chinese individuals are moving into Bitcoin despite it being banned, blocked, and all of that because the Chinese stock market's down, Chinese property, uh, Chinese, China's having some trouble. Like they're starting to pay the price for all the COVID lockdown and the crazy things that happened there. So there was, it was an article, it was a, Root, a Reuters article. So like not a Cointelegraph, right? So I kind of like to read those articles because I, I feel like I get a lot of the crypto specific stuff. And it, it was basically people are going, they're pulling money out of traditional financial brokerage houses and investment entities. And they're going to small regional banks and they can get it's five fifty thousand yuan or about seven thousand dollars without tripping alarms that tells people tells the government they're moving stuff into crypto 
And, the, and so this article had the guys quote, Bitcoin is a safe haven like gold. And then they buy it over the counter or peer to peer, or there's a couple exchanges they can use that haven't been shut down yet. And it's, it's the same thing, man. It's like, all right, well, you live in a country where you don't trust the government, the stock, you know, the, there's really nowhere else to invest. Cause the reason I read it is because Bitcoin hasn't seen a recession. And Bitcoin has correlated itself to the stock market, like when COVID hit and everything dropped, COVID or Bitcoin dropped too. Everything went down. And there's going to be, if if Bitcoin works like Bitcoin's supposed to work, there's going to be a day when the stock market goes down and Bitcoin goes up because people are running away from the stock market and they're going into the safety of Bitcoin. And so, if this article, if there's enough people in China doing it once, or there's an owner of Reuters that wants an, a positive article about Bitcoin. Either way, it's a good sign that the, you know, the, the safe harbor investment vehicle uh, thesis for Bitcoin is starting to come through. So, I, I, you know, whether it's a Canadian trucker situation where the, the government's going to try to freeze your bank accounts and you can circumvent that, there, I've, I've read somewhere that there's a American trucker convoy heading to the southern border. And if that's the case, I hope Bitcoin people get to them and are like, hey, by the way, you might as well stock up on some Bitcoin before you get there. Because, <laughs> like, you're probably going to get shut down. Like, we're, you're going to get audited for sure, but you, you might not have access to your checking account. Yeah. So one of the other things, I guess, that I, I did see, we talk about China. I mean, you have... Evergrande is being forced to liquidate, what, $300 billion, right? So it, it is good. definitely a mess, but there is a Chinese investment company of some sort that is applying to, for a spot Bitcoin ETF in Hong Kong now too. So I know Hong Kong and China aren't really the same, but if the Chinese investment firm is gonna be allowed to open this up, it kind of gives the ability for theoretically Chinese citizens have access to a spot Bitcoin ETF as well, which I don't think solves the problem for them from what's happening, but it's also kind of interesting to see China, who has been probably the most vocal about banning Bitcoin and crypto over and over and over again. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a there was like a two paragraph piece to that article that mentioned China was allowing Hong Kong to do it. Because like you said, they're not it, like everybody knows China's, China's CCP has control over Hong Kong, but they don't really. And so they said in order because Hong Kong's, you know, that's their financial hub. And in order to keep them from falling behind, they're allowing Hong Kong and the financial district to still keep one foot in the in Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. And so they did they did mention that in that article because you, you don't want to shut yourself off from Bitcoin. I mean, it, it's if if it's not obvious now, then you're you're not you're not paying attention what's interesting so deutsche bank the german monster bank did a survey and they surveyed two thousand people which isn't a huge amount but it was kind of intriguing to see some of the trends that they got out of that and what they found and this was they did this after the bitcoin approval in the u.s and so they surveyed people i think in three different continents but what they found was more than a third of the respondents think that it will drop to under 20 grand by the end of the year, which I, I, it's possible, right? There's, there's definitely a possibility. I think we've talked that that is a very rare possibility, but if there's a recession, then 
Bitcoin does correlate with everything else, hey, anything's possible at this point. But what's even crazier is 42% of the respondents anticipated it to disappear. Like, disappear? Do you, yeah. Do you really? I mean, you're talking about 40%. So everyone is at one out of every, sorry, two of every five people think that Bitcoin is going to disappear at this point. And I mean, to me, it's like, holy cow, there needs to be some education out there at this point. Like you, it can disappear. You have to be trying to think that. You know what I'm saying? Like you're not doing any research at all. And every time you see a headline that's Bitcoin negative, you read it. Like you, you have to be purposefully not. If you turn billions of dollars changing hands on between the ETFs, you've got BlackRock behind it now. I mean, the bigger Bitcoin gets, the less risky it is. It's it's a it's a better investment now than it was at five thousand when COVID hit. Like it's a better investment now than it was with twenty thousand when China banned mining in two thousand twenty one. Like it's it's way better now than it was when it was a hundred bucks. I mean, it could have gone to zero easy back then, but I mean now, like the only thing you got to like to me, the biggest argument against Bitcoin now is you're not going to be able to do on chain transactions because of the number, the cost, and the transaction throughput and you know, you're going to have to move to layer two and you're going to have to figure that out and all of those problems. Those are scaling problems. Those are on the way up problems. We can, this is fine. I mean, the the Bitcoin ETFs are closing 10,000, 5,300 Bitcoin transactions every day. You know, like when you talk, even two years ago when it's like, well, the on-chain transactions are just going to be the really big ones. And the ETFs are like a layer two. I mean, you know, I'll throw $5,000 and buy some Bitcoin and try to, and as I'm moving things around and they all get lumped together and then there's a single close for, for that ETF on the day. And yeah, it's a little different. So Bitwise, it provided their wallet address for, so that they could be, be transparent and people could double check and make sure that they actually had the Bitcoin that they say they have, which I think is brilliant from a Bitcoin native to set yourself apart, BlackRock's not going to do that, right? That's not important to BlackRock. Well, Bitcoin or Bitwise did it, and like immediately somebody sent in six thousand nine hundred and sixty-nine sats. Like, and, <laughs> and so I saw a transaction, a screenshot of their of the transactions for that address, and it's like just little tiny sat transactions. You know, this, people probably paid four dollars to do the transaction for a eight dollar transaction just to just to put a transaction in. And then what does Bitwise do? Cool. We'll just use that as a donation and we'll knock it off the fees that we charge the, the people that bought at the ETF. And I'm like, put it on the list of like Bitcoin. Bitcoin makes you act right, you know, and it, but it also, it kind of bridged the gap between the goofiness of the Bitcoin, you know, old school Bitcoin guys and the seriousness of Bitcoin ETF, Wall Street, you know, suit and tie guys. So uh, I, I thought that was, I thought that was pretty funny, kind of classic Bitcoin move. I mean, I mean, not that I'm shilling any specific ETF, but Bitwise, I, I like what they're doing, donating what ten percent of all their profits to the to a Bitcoin fund, right? So they're they're doing all the right things. They're trying to push Bitcoin forward. They believe in it. I mean, it, it's awesome. Like it's it's great to see. One of the the crazy things, I guess, that has happened here in the past week or so was. I mean, we saw GPTC 
have a ton of selling pressure and a lot of that was FTX somewhat liquidating all of their GBTC, right? So if you look at it, I was doing a little bit more research on that. GBTC, there's about 15% of the GBTC, GBTC that was actually on in bankruptcy estates, right? And FTX was one of those, but FTX was 20,000 of a total of about 77,000 Bitcoin in, in worth of, of shares in GBTC. So we're a little over a third or a little, sorry, a little under a third of the way through of liquidating that. So there, there's still another, what, 57,000 to go worth of Bitcoin. So I, I don't know when it's going to happen. No one really knows. There's a, I think there's a lot of question marks on when everybody's going to start to get their money back from these bank, bankrupt companies. It would be great to know the answer to that. It would make me sleep a lot better at night. But <laughs> Especially some, some people in particular. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of crazy to see. And what there was one guy that did some research saying that, hey, out of that, say, 50,000 plus of Bitcoin that's left to liquidate from GBDC, there's probably three to four X that still going to happen. And it, not so much... They don't really know what's going to happen with it, right? I mean, you, you have a bunch of retail investors that could leave and go to a different ETF. You have a bunch of institutional guys that are probably going to leave and do something else too. But just with the fees being at 1.5%, and if somebody like Charles Schwab comes in and is 15 times lower than what Grayscale is, I mean, at, at what point does Grayscale say, okay, we're going to start to lower it more? I mean, I think a lot of people are kind of stuck in there from a, a tax perspective. But yeah, it's, it's, it's changing. And the landscape is definitely changing. Yeah, and uh, I think it was Valkyrie and Van Eck cut their fees. They're at zero percent for the first six months, and they're going to be down at like the the point two, you know, point one nine percent per year kind of fee. So, yeah, I mean, it's, there's no way GBTC keeps one and a half percent. I mean, that's that's a that's a pretty stiff difference between your competition. But I don't know. We'll see what happens with them. I think. I think we've got a year before the GPTC stuff settles and just kind of gets to a point where it's uh, we're into like a, hey, every day, if money flows in, it's kind of a natural flow in. If money flows out, it's a natural flow out. I think it's going to take at least 12 months to flush out all the all of those bankruptcy things that we talked about. And people that are just like, oh, yeah, they find out that GPTC is at one and a half percent. But that said, GPTC is marketing like crazy. So they've kind of got a reason to market. If you're making, a, you know, 15 bips, are you really going to spend $20 million marketing your, your ETF? So, you know, competitively, I kind of like playing a different game than my competitors. At least I'm selling apples and not just trying to sell, you know, more oranges right next to a guy selling oranges. So, you know, there may be a play there they, they, and they have a huge advantage with the, the, the assets under management. I mean, they're, they're playing a game. I'm kind of curious to see how it works out for them, but it is frustrating from a Bitcoin price standpoint because that's a lot of sell pressure. Yeah. So you talked about marketing. I mean, one, <laughs> it's interesting now you have BlackRock as a pretty much a marketing machine. You can sell, see how successful they've been with marketing in general. But what's really crazy is you now have one of the largest companies in the world that has changed their stance on marketing Bitcoin. So Google has now officially allowed Bitcoin ETFs to get ads on Google, which they took 
cryptocurrency off of all their ads a couple of years ago. Yeah. So that's that's a huge change where, and that's also probably going to be a huge windfall for Google to have the grayscales of the world saying, oh yeah, we'll give you a bunch of a penny pay-per-click type thing for anything you spot Bitcoin ETF related. So yeah, that's, that's a big change and I'm interested to see how that's going to affect everything moving forward too. Yeah, and you know, once... People start seeing stuff on Google. They're walking through the airport. They see signs on the wall. When I, I was skiing between Christmas and New Year, Jim and I had advertisements on on flags as you skied down the down the mountain with Bitcoin logos on them. You know, even if you're not into Bitcoin, if you start seeing that stuff, and oh by the way, every once in a while the news hits, oh Bitcoin is up to forty five grand. Bitcoin's hit fifty, sixty, like. Eventually, you're like, I got to get on this train, and so that it's just building a stronger, broader foundation for a taller, more wild bull run. In my in my opinion, right? I, like, there is an element of of getting the big boys in, where if they want to allocate three percent to Bitcoin and Bitcoin doubles, they are selling no matter what, and so they got to get back to their three percent, and then they reallocate to the other stuff. Well. All that, uh, that, it's not the end of the world. All it's going to do is make the bull runs like slower and le- and a little more curved and less straight vertically up. And on the flip side, we, on the way down, they're going to reallocate from other asset classes back into Bitcoin. So it's going to slow down when things plummet. So uh, it'll smooth out some of the some of the curves. Now, not yet, right? There's just, as a percentage of the total Bitcoin market cap and Bitcoin flows every day it's it's not enough but you're talking 18 months from now maybe maybe it does start to knock the edge off a little bit well i tell you one thing that does help is when tether prints money and they printed a billion dollars yesterday mm-hmm. yeah and and, and tether I, I i think i read that tether's now the number one buyer of u.s treasuries i think we talked about it maybe six months or whatever ago and they were they were up there with some other countries. <laughs> now I think they took the number one spot because everybody else, nobody else is buying U.S. Treasuries. Yeah. So and sorry, I meant to say a billion, not a trillion. But they printed a billion. I think they've printed thirteen billion since October of last year. So they continue just to buy Treasuries, I guess, to build up their reserves. However, that's like printing a billion dollars seems to be. The norm these days, the Fed does it, Tether does it. <laughs> it's just a billion dollars. Yeah, but in whatever I read when I was reading about Tether, it was some, I guess, an attorney that was not a Tether attorney. It was in some proceeding that they had. And they're like, yeah, I, mean, I can't show you anything, but I can tell you they have what they say they have. Like they, you know, yeah. it was, it was, it wasn't in like a te- pro tether marketing campaign or anything. It was in a, a real a real newspaper article, and so I was like, okay, well that's that's something. And I wish I wish they'd be more transparent so that you knew they were backed what they say they are. But to to have somebody from a legal standpoint who's going on the record to say that they're not backed by you know air is good. Yeah, I guess we'll have to trust them at this point. <laughs> I mean. If you're not on Bitcoin, there's got to be trust. Yeah. So a another thing that was interesting, and we've talked a lot about Bitcoin mining in the past. The United Nations had come out with a mining report pretty much saying how bad Bitcoin mining was for the environment. Well, there was an academic that recently pretty much challenged the entire United Nations report 
and went into pretty painstaking detail of what Bitcoin is really doing and how things have changed and how a lot of the information that the United Nations had used was very outdated data and, and everything that is happening moving forward. And I mean, there's a ton of excitement for me, from my perspective, on what mining is going to enable a lot of other countries to do. And I mean, Africa is a big piece of that, right? I mean, Africa has tons of resources, but not really a way to monetize a lot of that and, and being able to utilize Bitcoin and also to have a currency that is somewhat stable since they don't really have a good option <laughs> over there. This gives them kind of a, a two for one on using the resources to mine Bitcoin and then having the ability for Bitcoin to be able to pay for more as, and that's kind of expanding the maybe the electricity footprint for who's connected in, in africa which the more connected you are to power to the internet the the better off you are economically at the end of the day based on what the data says yeah the quality of life improvement of just being able to have access to electricity yeah never mind the ability for once you're there now you can have a, a cell phone and and charge it you know, there's the, the advantages of having electricity are so tough to think about from an American standpoint. And so, you know, you're, you're just born into this world where every time you turn a light switch on, there's power. There's almost never an interruption. I mean, even when I was growing up in a rural area at the end of the line, we would lose power a couple times a year, you know. So this is for an African area that's that's not very exposed to electricity, doesn't have or they, you know, maybe it's super intermittent things like that. Man, you can come in. Oh, you've got a you've got a river. Well, we'll, we'll make a lake, <laughs> and now you'll have electricity, and maybe we can have, create some better fishing. And you can you can do that. This sounds a little bit like American colonialism, like bringing capitalism to places that don't have it. But like you're talking about with electricity comes hospitals, <laughs> stuff like that. You know, you you can purify water, that like real basic stuff that's important. So I, I think you, you can really help. Bitcoin, it, again, man, it, it helps the poorest people that are that don't have electricity or don't have stable electricity. And then it helps Texas stabilize their grid when a polar vortex comes through last week. And Bitcoin miners shut off. Power goes back to the grid. They don't, And it mitigates the issues they have when... Everybody's cranked up all the electric heaters and everything to to stay warm. So it's like you, you're talking about helping both sides of it. You know, there's a big difference between Austin, Texas, and a, a village in Africa that doesn't have water and power. Well, an interesting story I was reading about in Africa, people that were processing cocoa beans. One of the big things over there is you have to dry out the cocoa beans, right? And typically it was laying them out in the sun and letting the heat heat them up. The problem is you're keeping it exposed to the weather and you have animals and everything that comes and get it. It's it. So what they've done now is they're using Bitcoin miners and the heat from the Bitcoin miners to dry out the cocoa beans. And they're actually making money from the Bitcoin miners while they're using the heat. So now it's be becoming for those people that are going to process things without a Bitcoin miner are going to be behind those that are using Bitcoin miners. So it's kind of cool to think of that from a, a small scale, but if you could turn that into a much larger scale and anything that needs heat, if all of a sudden now you have Bitcoin miners generating heat that you can then use that heat to do whatever you need to and almost get paid to have that heat, then it's it's a really intriguing 
business case moving forward that probably can apply be applied at a lot of different business levels around the world. Yeah, I mean, and people have to understand enough about Bitcoin. I mean, do generating a business model for a Bitcoin mining operation like that would be a super difficult thing to do because it's like, okay, well, if you knew what the Bitcoin price was going to be and you knew how much your power costs are and you knew what the hash rate was going to be across the network, you could predict how much revenue you're going to build from the revenue and profit you're going to build from mining Bitcoin. However, all three of those change. <laughs> the Bitcoin price isn't very predictable. The hash rate seems to go up like crazy. And price of electricity when you don't have like stable electricity is, is tough too. So, you know, that's that's a tough one to build. So you're talking about you're going to need to find a person who's so into Bitcoin that they have the confidence that, hey, long term, this is the right way to go. Even if, you know, we can we can bookend our our downside as this price for per Bitcoin and the hash rate going up to this level. But there's definitely well, use if, for it. Yeah. For, I mean, for that case, if you have if you need heat anyways, and now all of a sudden you're using you're able to kind of exclude those beans from outside and forces outside forces which entice loss right now the money you're making from bitcoin is just an added benefit so you almost don't care what the price is you're having to pay for energy anyways to typically get that done and i mean it's it's a very small scale right for what most people are probably used to but it's still kind of a really interesting thing to think about is all right well if you need heat here's heat and not only are you paying for the heat, you're also going to get paid back something at some point. <laughs> right. right. So, Yeah. And if you know easy. your losses, if you using the sun to warm them up results in 40% loss of your product because of bugs and everything else. Like, okay, well, if we can enclose this and get to a hundred percent, then you can, you can predict how much your revenues and profits will increase there. And then that's, that's certainly possible. And you can be open on rainy days. <laughs> you don't have to have it be completely sunny and no clouds. In the right. Sky. Yeah. There are rainy so, seasons. Yep. So another interesting thing that I was reading about too is Chase, Citibank, Goldman Sachs, and a handful of the other large banks are in the process of drafting a lawsuit against the Federal Reserve. <laughs> so apparently the Federal Reserve is worried about the financial stability of banks and one of the things that they want them to do is keep an additional 20% of reserves in cash. And all these banks are saying that this is just kind of a, they didn't really think this through and this is going to cause them to do, I think like close to 30% of their assets in cash. And it's very expensive for them to do yada, yada, yada. So they are about to sue the federal reserve. It sounds like, which is kind of crazy because I felt like most of these banks are part of the federal reserve. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> It's like they're suing themselves, but it, it's just kind of funny to see that. Yeah, maybe what's happening now is starting to get a little crazy when the banks who who have been historically the ones making the most money on this are now not agreeing with what the government decisions are <laughs> moving forward either. So, I did read an article talking about the regional banks. So the so when Silvergate Signature and Silicon Valley Bank all kind of had a bank run and collapsed the the fed created a basically a little pot of money that banks could exchange their underwater bonds for at par 
and use that money as a, a, a low interest loan to generate some liquidity so that they can operate. Well, that that's due to be due to expire in March, I think. March. Yep. And so there, this article was effectively saying, well, what it did is it turned a bank run on regional banks into a bank walk. And now regional banks are down to like 4% reserves. And the big banks where all the money went from the small banks to the big banks, they're at like 9% reserves. So when that goes away, the regional banks are going to be in a worse position than they were <laughs> prior to that. And the bigger banks are going to be in a better position, but they're still half of what you're talking about at 20%. So that's just put it on the list of like the feedback loop for all of the crazy stuff that happened in 2020, 2021. And now you're, you're having to pay for it now. I mean, that's kind of why Arthur Arthur Hayes was pretty much saying, be prepared for March. It could get a little crazy in March before it starts to get better. So, I mean, could there be a dip? Absolutely. When some of that happens and who, I mean, I know we don't want Bitcoin and crypto to be tied to the stock market, but if everything tumbles really bad, I think you're still going to see a lot of people try to sell just to have cash to do whatever they need to do. Well, it'll, it'll be like a 2020 March, 2020 flight to safety. I mean, every single thing went into us dollars, like everything crashed. And then everything came right back, but it was like, I need to hold on to these dollars and then I need to watch what happens and then, okay, I can make some decisions and we can go. So yeah, that that's, March is going to be tricky. Yep. So the other interesting thing that I saw that is kind of intriguing, we've talked a lot about Solana and Ethereum in the past and the, the, the smart contract space and where things are going and Solana has been making a lot of progress. Well, for the first time in a trading day, Jupiter, which is a DEX on Solana, theoretically had more trading volume than Uniswap did, which is the, the DEX on Ethereum. Now, Jupiter had about 510 million. It's, it's a little kind of fuzzy because Uniswap had 455 million on their V3 version, but they had another 76 million on their V2. So if you combine them together, they're higher than Juniper. But what's interesting, we talked about this, I think, back in December, mid-December, something like that. Solana's NFT space had been bigger than Ethereum's. And I think in, back in December, the seven-day cumulative from Solana was actually higher than Ethereum for a DEX at, at some point. So Solana's making a comeback, right? I mean, they're, they're being talked about a lot, and there's a lot of interest not just from a retail perspective, from, but from an institutional perspective too. They seem to have figured out, at least lately, they haven't had to shut their doors for <laughs> maintenance at all. <laughs> but you can want to talk about faster and cheaper transactions. I mean, they're, they're definitely outpacing Ethereum there. I, I still think from an NFT perspective, one of the coolest things they do, and if you don't have a lot of NFTs, you probably don't experience this, but there's a lot of crappy shit that gets sent to you when you have nfts and it's they're like a lot of times they're hidden in solana when they do that you can go choose to burn that nft and they will pay you a, a small portion of soul back to you so to kind of clear up the whole nft ecosystem you can choose to burn any nft you want and you'll get less more, than a dollar more than zero <laughs> yeah but it's still it's better than nothing i guess at this point and it 
I mean, for the most part, you can't really do anything with them on Ethereum. You just got to hide them and make sure you never touch them because there's probably something on there that's going to try to drain your account. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, that's all that I think I had on my end. Anything else that we missed on your end? I think I think we covered all of the items I had on my list, so I think we're good today. Yeah, for it being kind of a slow week, it was still a lot of interesting things to talk about. I mean, the ETF is is still kind of dominating the news right now. I guess the hope is the selling pressure continues to to get smaller and smaller and smaller. But I think there's a lot of macro things happening around the world that will probably affect Bitcoin one way or the other. The question is, which way will affect it? And that, <laughs> that yeah. I don't know yet. It, it's to, it, the thing there is like, I feel like Bitcoin's ready for, you know, the store of value and ready to act in a different direction in the stock market, but it's probably not right. Like 42% of people still think it's going to go to zero. So that, that that's not great. So I think I do have to temper my expectations a lot because you know, it's it's easy when you're kind of in your echo chamber and it's all pro Bitcoin and you see all these things that are down the road. But other people aren't even on the road. You know, like the majority of Americans aren't even paying attention to this at all. Well, I was reading some article or some stuff on Reddit and like one guy posted, he was like, why an ETF? And someone else responded. He's like, well, I'm 40 years old and I don't understand how to buy and sell crypto on an exchange. So I'm just going to do, do it on ETF. So I don't have to figure that out. I was like, man, if you're 40 and you haven't figured this out, I'm sorry, but you're in trouble. What'd you do in your 30s? No, I, but I, so, okay, we'll talk about this real quick then. So if you're 40 and you've got an IRA or a Roth account, or you've got some retirement funds and you're into Bitcoin and you've got some Bitcoin on, in, for, on exchanges or even in cold storage, I think there's a thesis, an investment thesis where you're like, well, I've got these, these Bitcoin that I'm going to hold until I retire, right? I want to I want to test my theory that I can retire on one Bitcoin. Well, you could go into your 401k, buy one Bitcoin worth of a ETF, and then that would liberate one of your Bitcoin that you hold outside of it if you needed cash one day. And you're Bitcoin neutral, but you locked one up if you're 40, you locked it up for the next 20 years. If it goes to zero, did you destroy your retirement fund? No. You should be okay. You can you should be able to handle a a, a drop of a small percentage of your, your your retirement, but if it pays off and you're right, man, all right, maybe Bitcoin does go to six figures in the next couple of years. You can pull six figures out in cash and spend it and have a good time with it while you're young and able to run around and stuff. And you still have that Bitcoin on the backside. That's kind of what I did. Was like, you know, if I it, we talked about it a few weeks ago, where I'm like, well, I could see myself selling some things just to improve my quality of life and kind of relax. I'm like, well, yeah, I can definitely do that if I throw some money, retirement money into it. Because now I'm, I'm already over allocated to Bitcoin. I have more than I ever thought I would. So if I get into some more in my retirement account, I'm not going to, I'm definitely not going to sell it. I'm not going to touch it. So that's 20 year lockup. I don't know if I would ever call anybody over allocated. Maybe Michael Saylor, but... <laughs> Well, I won't feel over allocated when it, it when it starts to skyrocket. Oh. Awesome. Well, Hal, as always, great catching up, and we'll talk again next week. All right, man. Sounds good. If all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers, 
have created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.